0: What i'm so thankful for in this group is just i know it's a word we throw around a lot but it's just just family and uh being a part of sunday nights and wednesday nights and uh, during COVID, a lot of zoom calls we'd hop on zoom and play zoom games and uh, it's, it's just it's just become family and uh we've done some really really incredible series over the past probably six or eight months and uh, we've just been walking through the bible we did a series on revelation we when we came back from our conference called Wild Ones, we actually launched a series called A Day in the Life of a Wild Man and what it means to live wild for the kingdom of God. We examined different people in the Bible, including Jesus, people like Caleb, people like, uh, people like Noah, who just lived with audacious faith. We just came out of a series recently called Bible Stories. You'd be amazed. You've heard me say it before, but you would be amazed at how many people have come up in church and they know that David slew the giant, but they've never actually read the story. You'd be amazed at how many people, young people especially, knew that God parted the Red Sea, but they've never actually read the story. You'd be amazed at how many people that, that know that Elijah took up a, stood up on top of Mount Carmel and actually defeated the prophet of Baal when fire came and engulfed the altar, but have never read the story. You'd be amazed at how many people know that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish and regurgitated onto dry land, but have never read the story. Are you getting the point this morning? Here's the reality. All of these Old Testament books, all of these New Testament books, they're more than just stories. There's 39 in the Old, 26 in the New, and they all point to one place. 27 in the New. You're going to hold that against me later. I know you were. That's why I corrected it. 39 in the Old, 27 in the New, and they all point to one place. They, they point to the person named Jesus. Isn't that good? You look at, let's go there. You look, at, you look at creation in Genesis chapter 1. God created a garden. What did he call it? He called it Eden. Right, he put man and he put woman there and then he told him you can eat from the tree of life But you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What happened? The enemy deceived Eve who ate the fruit who passed it to Adam. And they had fallen into sin God being perfect and holy in his nature can have nothing to do with sin, right? So he actually Man was eternally separate from God in that moment man was eternally separate from God But he looked at the enemy and this is when he gets wild. He looked at the enemy and he cursed the enemy Right? He said, you'll crawl on the earth all the days of your life. But then he looked to man, and I've heard it preached before, it's just bogus. He, pe- some people stand up here and preach that God cursed man. God never cursed man. God looked at man and said, "Curses the ground for your sake. It was one of the greatest acts of mercy. Instead of cursing man, which he had every right to do, he looked at them and looked down, and he said, I'll curse the ground that you walked on, but I will not curse you. Adam and Eve ran and hid, and you, you know the story. They actually sowed fig leaves to put on themselves, but go to Genesis chapter 3. This, you got it, Cam, right there. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 3. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin, and he clothed them. This is wild to me. All right, man who is stuck in sin, God, instead of turning his back, actually chose to take the time to wove together tunics of skin, and he clothed them. What does it mean? It's pointing to a day when a Christ would come. When man would be separate from God, and instead of disowning us and separating himself from us, he would actually clothe us in in his own righteousness. And he would clothe us in his own goodness. And he would clothe us with his own divine being. And when God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see the filthy rags of what we used to be, but he actually sees the righteousness of Jesus on our life. Can we keep going this morning? Let's go to Noah in Genesis chapter 6 and 7. It's three chapters later. later. Wickedness had been prevailing over the entire earth. It's amazing at how fast wickedness began to spread when sin entered the garden. But instead of wiping the earth completely out, what did God do? He raised up a man named Noah. Everybody say Noah. And he told him to build an ark. If you study the ark in Genesis chapter 6, it actually says that there was only one door. It's more than a story. There was a flood that was coming on the earth that would sit on the earth many, many days. And only those in the ark would survive. What's it doing? It's pointing to the day that the Christ would come. It's pointing to the day that the Messiah would come on to the scene. And just like there was only one way into the ark, there is only one way back to the Father, and it's through the person of Jesus Christ. And listen, there is a tribulation that's coming that you and I, if, if the Lord doesn't come, we, we will leave right before it happens. There's a time coming when, if you actually study the seals and, and the, the vials and the trumpets, the earth is going to be in really, really, really bad shape. Only those on the ark are going to survive. Only those covered in the blood of Jesus, only those born again are going to see redemption in that moment. Isn't it good that it's more than just a a good bedtime story that makes you feel good before you lay down to sleep, but it's actually the greatest reality to ever be that God provided a way out instead of wiping the slate clean. Look at Moses. Let's just work our way through a couple of these. Moses had spent 40 years in the wilderness after being raised as an Egyptian. Moses comes back onto the scene after God gives him instruction through a burning bush and says, I want you to go and set my people free. Have you read the story with Pharaoh and the Egyptians? He comes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, I will not let your people go. And God sends 10 different plagues. The 10th, which was the the death of the firstborn, we saw the Nile turn to blood. We saw frogs, We uh, we saw fleas, we saw a bunch of awful stuff. We saw the death of the livestock. We saw hell so big that it was crushing trees when it hit the ground. And God sent Moses. Finally, Pharaoh let the people go, and God sent Moses to lead them out to the Red Sea. What's this mean? I'm here to tell you this morning it's way more than a good story. Listen to me. It's way more than a good story. It is the fact that God raised up a deliverer. He raised up someone that would actually lead the people out of Egypt and into the land of promise. He raised up someone who would lead the people out of captivity and lead them into freedom. Isn't it good? You see it through Isaiah when he prophesied. We see it through Jeremiah when he prophesied. We see it when Daniel was thrown in a pit of lions. How many days was he in there? He was in there overnight, right? And and the guards came around. The next morning, and they found that Daniel was actually sitting there alive. What's it doing? It's pointing to the day that the Christ would come, and he would actually sit down in a tomb and be buried there for three days, and on the third day, he would rise again, and it points to the fact that we're eternally victorious. So you're getting the point this morning. When you open your Bible and read through the Old Testament, listen to me. When you open your Bible and you read through the Old Testament, we must understand that it all points to Jesus. I want to go back this morning, and I want to teach one of the oldest stories in the book, and then we're going to go home. I ain't going to keep you long. I want to preach on David and Goliath. Is that anybody's favorite story growing up? It was mine, and I want to teach on it this morning. Can we pray together, Father? Thanks for for your goodness. Thanks for your help. And I just ask you for your wisdom in this moment. I pray you give us eyes to see. I pray you give us ears to hear. And I pray that your word would go forward and it would transform lives. And somebody that agreed with that shouted amen. Amen. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years. Everybody say 1,500. 1,500 years. 40 different writers. 66 different books all pointing to one place. Pointing to Jesus. Listen, I believe it's, preacher, it's time that preachers get back to preaching Jesus. Listen, I, I'm 25 years old. I don't know how long the grace of God will be on my life to help me preach the gospel. But as long as it's here, I pray it would help me preach Jesus. The world doesn't need a knockoff. The world doesn't need a watered-down version. We just need to stand up here and we need to declare the reality It's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, Kim, if you'll go there, he said, I have determined to know nothing else among you except that I would know Christ and that I would know him crucified listen it's all about him it's always been about it's wild that even in the garden god is actually teaching his people that there is a messiah that's coming and now we get the privilege to look back on the other side of calvary and we get to read it through the lens of the fact that jesus has already come it's always been about him it is about him and it will always be about him so my life ought to be about him listen we get way too distracted way too fast We get soaked up in the things of this world and we forget that there is a treasure that awaits us that is far greater than any treasure that could await us here. Your 401k is going to go up in flames when the tribulation hits. All the banks are going to be gone and we spend a lot of our time just trying to see how much money we can soak up. You with me this morning? I, I, I believe we need to get back to the centerpiece of the fact that Jesus is alive and that is the only thing that matters. You look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, if any of you want to open your Bible, we'll go there. It's the story of David and Goliath, and I actually have a picture right there. What you had is, you, if you go to the Valley of Elah, Kim, you have the people of Israel up on one mountain. Yeah, you can look right here. The, valley, the, the battle actually took place in the valley that's over that little hill right on the other side. You can see a little gap going through. The Philistines were on one mountain. The Israelites were on the other mountain. And a giant... Anybody know his name? Goliath. He came forward 40 days and 40 nights taunting, right, taunting the people of God, taunting the honor of God. The Philistines had actually been working their way into, it, 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 almost encroaching on the Israelites and putting them against their backs. And so it, it was a battle for land. It was a, ba- it was a conquest for land to, to push the Israelites back and take them into captivity and keep them in slavery. But what we see here in verse, uh, chapter 17, Kim, if you'll go there, verse 4, it says, And the champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. A span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Keep going to the next one. And he had a bronze armor on his la- legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. Greg, Greg, come up here and help me, man. We've got to understand how big this is. Goliath, when you transfer the shekels to feet, was actually 9 feet 9 inches tall. Let's do this. 9 foot 9. I'll hold this up. You put that thing on the ground. I'm 6 foot 6, all right? This is how tall Goliath was. All right. Does that put this thing into perspective for you? Back those cameras up, John, so you got the big one. Zoom it out so people online can see this thing. Nine feet, nine inches tall. Isn't that wild? Everybody understand the magnitude of this guy, all right? He's he's not just a tad tad taller than us. He's much taller, all right? Thank you, bro. You can take that with you. All right, he had a coat of mail. Kim, if you'll put the picture of a coat of mail. The thing weighed 125 pounds. Sorry, bro. Listen, that thing right there weighed 125 pounds, his armor that he wore up on his chest. 125 pounds put the javelin up there Kim. look at the size of his javelin uh, people part of the creation museum have actually gone back and looked biblically and scholarly at the bible to see what the what this thing was made of and how big it was that's that was his that was his javelin the spearhead on top of that thing weighed 15 pounds just the top of the spear weighed 15 pounds by itself we need to understand how big this giant was everybody say goliath He was a big giant. He was unbeatable. The Bible actually calls him a champion. A champion is someone who fights on behalf of their nation in combat. Go to verse 8, Kim. Let's read this together. Is it all right if we just read the Bible this morning? Verse 8. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel, and he said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. Let's go to the next one. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Next verse. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. All right, so you got the Israelites, hundreds of thousands of them sitting back overlooking the Valley of Elah, trembling in their boots as this man makes his way into the valley. All right, they were petrified, absolutely terrified, wanted nothing to do. Goliath, for 40 days, we're about to read that part, but for 40 days he came out and said, just send me someone, and nobody would go. In a while, nobody would go. You skip down to verse 16. It actually says it here, Kim. It's the next one. It says, the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40. Everybody say 40. 40 days, morning and evening. I think when we picture this story, a lot of times we just think it was kind of a quick thing. For a month and a half, this giant came out into the valley of Eli and said, send me someone that would contend against me. Send me, send me someone that would fight for me. And nobody would come. Go to 17. Jesse to talks to his son David. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. Everybody say David. This is when David comes onto the scene and his dad sends him. David's a young boy at this time. Some scholars say he was 11, 12 years old. Some say he was 15, 16 years old. But he was a young boy, younger than the ones that just stood up here on this stage today. And his father sends him, to, he's too young to be in battle, his father sends him to take some food to his brothers. His oldest brother's name was Eliab, his second was Abinadab, and his third was Shama. And he sends him and says, take this food to your brothers. Well, David arrives at the camp, and we see in verse 23, right here, Kim, she'll go. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath. Everybody say Goliath. Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. Verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled. This uh, We've got to remember the size of the valley of Elah. And as Goliath approaches, they're literally going the other way. All right, they're not just standing there. They're actually fleeing on the sand. They fled from him, and they were dreadfully afraid. Verse 25, so the man of Israel said, have you seen this man who is Come up! Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give him his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Somebody shout glory right there. All right, so the king wants this guy killed so bad that he actually offers up his own daughter. And then he says, like, I will give you freedom from taxes for the rest of your life. Now, in that moment, how many of you would have taken out darted toward the middle of the valley of Elah to try and take this guy down. Anybody, anybody in the room that would like to keep 25% of your income every once in a while, right? Nobody would budge. Isn't it wild? Nobody would budge. Saul got word that David was at the camp, and Saul got word that Jesse had sent David to bring some food to his brothers. And David actually appears before Saul, and we see in verse 32 right here, then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, your servant. Your servant. Th- that is, there's a whole sermon in that right there if you understand the back story. We'll, we'll, we'll keep moving forward, There, Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul looked to David and said, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight th- with him, for you are a youth. And he's a man of war from his youth. Verse 34, David said to Saul, Your servant, this is good, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, verse 35, I went out after it and I struck it. I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I called it by its beard, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Somebody put your hands together right there. (laughs) We've got to understand the picture. There was one of his, David was a shepherd keeping tending to the flock in the fields and one of his lambs got stuck in a bear's mouth and he chased the bear down ripped the lamb from its grip and killed the thing on the spot this is wild all right this would make national news in this day and age all right there a lion comes on the scene and rips up one of the lambs from the flock and takes off with it david chases the thing down frees the lamb from its grip and kills the lion right there in the moment David comes up and he says, you're a servant. Saul's like, you were too young. David's like, you don't understand where I've been. You don't understand when nobody was watching what I've been a part of. You don't understand when all of you were tending to this, where I've been and what I've been doing. What David is basically saying is, I am equipped. I may be young, but I am equipped. I may be young, but I've got what it takes. Not because I'm strong in stature, but because I'm great in faith. And I know that he's with me. You following me so far? Saul tries to, you know the story, put his armor on David, right? <laughs> and David's sitting, you know, 12, 13 years old, lugging a grown man's armor, and it's just too heavy for him. Saul says, I don't want it. I'm going to go and fight the Philistine. Let's go to verse 40, and this is, where, this is where I'll preach today. And David took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five. Everybody say five. Five smooth stones from the brook. He put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch, which he had. And his sling was in his hand. And he drew near the Philistine. Verse 41. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. So are you seeing this happen on the Valley of Elah? There's hundreds of thousands of Philistines, hundreds of thousands of Israelites watching this thing happen. There's a 9-foot-9-inch giant and a 13-year-old boy worked their way toward each other. David had just gone down to the water. He picked up five rocks. Scholars say the rocks were about the size of a tennis ball. All right, They were smooth so that they would fly straight. David was trained in this to off to, er, to keep lions and bears away. It was about the size of a tennis ball, just to give you a visual. They're approaching each other in the valley of Elah. When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. The word disdained actually means that Goliath didn't even count David worthy, worthy to be standing on the same soil. This is not just a mockery. This is not just a who is this guy. This is a you're not even worthy to stand in the same valley that I'm standing in. Goliath disdained David for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. Verse 43. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog, that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine actually cursed David by his God. Verse 44, the Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the sea. Verse 45, this is wild. David said to the Philistine, everybody looking right here, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defined. The the phrase Lord of hosts actually translates Jehovah Sabaoth. We just did a series on the names of God. So he says that you come to me with a javelin, with a sword, and with a spear, but I come to you in the name of Jehovah Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of angel armies, the Lord of hosts. That's what he says. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 47, we're almost there. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save. This is good. With sword and with spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. 48, so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David. David hurried. This is, he ran toward the thing. Right, hundreds of thousands had been turning their back and running away in fear. But the man that was young but full of faith chose to actually run toward his giant instead of running away from it, understanding that the one who was with him was greater than the one that was against him, and he had no reason to be afraid. And so he took off at the giant, he ran toward toward the army to meet the Philistine. Verse 49, David put his hand in his bag. Can you imagine watching this thing unfold? He put his hand in his bag, and he took out the stone that was about the size of a tennis ball, And he slung it and he struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and Goliath fell on his face to the earth. I've questioned this so many times. Why in the world, if you're getting hit from, let's say, 15, 20, 25 yards, maybe, straight in the head with a tennis ball-sized rock coming at you at who knows how many miles an hour, how in the world did Goliath fall forward? That's what it says, right? The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face the earth. Listen, Goliath never one day honored God. He never one day actually gave the Lord, gave gave God himself the honor that he was due. But in the end, he was still forced to give him the honor that he was due. Be one thing at this story and then Goliath falls back on his back. Some people can say, you know, he shook around and then just fell forward and that, you know, that story works too, that's fine. But I truly believe that it was a story of honor. That the message and the thing was about honor. Listen, we're all going to stand before the Lord, and if you don't bow now, you will bow then. You've got a choice to make. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that he's Lord. You're either going to bow now, or you're going to bow then. And let me tell you something, if you choose to wait to bow then, it's going to be too late because there's no mercy there. Somebody say, yeah, there is no mercy there. And if you come before the Lord, come before God the Father at the judgment seat, not covered in the blood of Jesus, there is only one place that awaits you, and it's a place that is separate from him, a place that he calls hell forever. The Bible says there is weeping and there is gnashing of teeth there, and I promise you nobody in this room wants to go, so you better get born again. Somebody shout, yeah, you better get born again. You better know Jesus, because if you don't bow now, you will bow then. Verse 50. We go to the next one, Kim. 51. Therefore David ran. This, this is after the giant hit the ground. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine. He took his sword and he drew it out of its sheath and he killed him. And he cut off his head. Isn't this good? He cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they, help me out right there, they <laughs> <fled>. <laughs> Isn't it crazy how the tides have turned? The Israelites standing up on top of the mountainside, overlooking at the valley, the Valley of Elah, just running from the giant. Then all of a sudden, the man who was full of faith, the boy who was full of faith, comes onto the scene, slays the thing, and now the Philistines are taken off and running the other way. Verse 52 finishes the story off. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted. They pursued, and the, oh, so good, and they pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates. Of Ekron, is about ten miles, and the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Shereim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Here, listen. Here's the point. They ran the enemies ten miles out of town, and I'm afraid that too many of us are okay with the enemy living on our street. Maybe even in the backyard, maybe in the bedroom, and we see a standard here that said. And I believe it's time to run them out of town. Ten miles is Old Town Grill. I looked it up. Ten point, it's like 10.2 miles, something like that. Don't don't stop at the Silicaga line. Don't stop at Oak Grove. Run them all the way out. You following me this morning? Listen, some would stand here today and look at this story, which is my favorite Old Testament story in all the Bible. Some would stand here to, today and they would preach a story about slaying your giant. And they would, they would look at you and they would say, you need to s- fling the, the, the rock of faith and take your giant down. And I'm not against that, but I believe if we stop there, that we've actually sold the story short. Some would stand here today and use it as a way to preach a message about how you're never too young to be used by God, right? And I'm not against it. I'm with that. I celebrate that. But I believe if we look at that story and stop there, that we've actually sold it short. Some would use it as a way to preach a message on the importance of running toward your giant instead of running away from it. And I'm not against it. I'm with that. But I believe if we stop there, That we've actually sold the story short the reality is when we read this story we put ourselves in david's shoes right when when you hear it preached we put ourselves in david's shoes when it's really not even a story about us to begin with in the same way that creation points to jesus in the same way that noah points to jesus in the same way that esther points to jesus isaiah jeremiah jonah daniel they all point to jesus david points to jesus We were the ones that were standing up on the mountainside, trembling in our boots, afraid of the enemy that was against us. And when we thought that we were no match, and we thought that our end was met, and that we had no hope, and the giant that we were facing was far bigger than us, and we fled the other direction, there actually came a man onto the scene that may not have been full of stature and full of might, but he sure was full of faith. And he walked through there, and he picked up five Stones, if you want to look at it, as a parallel. And he ran at the giant that we were scared to face, and his name was Jesus. And he looked the giant of sin and death right in the eyes, darting right towards it, not away from it. He let the thing go, and the thing hit him right between the eyes. And sin and death fell on its back forever. Somebody shout, yeah. It's not a story about us. It's not a story about us slaying our giants. It's about the fact that Jesus slew a giant that was too big for us. It's about the fact that he came onto the scene when we were scared out of our minds and did what could not be done. When we were at our most desperate point, when it looked like the enemy was about to take the land, when all eternity hung in the balance, Jesus came and did what they said could not be done. And the good he came and did. What none of us could have done. And mm. the same way that David pulled out his sling and with one stone struck the giant on the forehead, sent him crashing to the earth, Jesus, through one sacrifice, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Mm. In the same way that Goliath's sword was meant to be David's end and marked the finality of a Philistine victory, Jesus' cross and his tomb was meant to be the end, too. But in the same way that the sword set to slay David actually became Goliath's defeat, the cross and the resurrection of our Messiah marks the greatest beacon of victory that we'll ever be able to see. Somebody shout, yeah. What happens next is remarkable because this is where we come in the story in the same way that the Philistines took off running, right? After their champion had fallen. I just want to remind you that the power of dark, powers of darkness are on their heels this morning. Scared out of their minds. Right. Mm. Ever since Jesus has risen from the dead, the powers of darkness have known that they have been defeated. Lane, come on and join me up here, man. Hmm. My assignment today is to remind each of us through such a simple story that Jesus has already won the war. That darkness has already been defeated. And we don't even have to do it anymore, right? Because he's already done it. There's three things I believe, and then we're going to work our way to our close. I told you I didn't want to keep you long this morning. There's three things I believe we must know about our enemy. If you look at the story of David and Goliath, you see David actually run up to the giant and take the sword from him, right? His own sword. David actually goes and disarms the giant. I just want to remind you this morning that the enemy has been disarmed. Everybody say disarmed. We look at him as a man with a bazooka just waiting to take people out, and I'm here to tell you this morning he doesn't even have a weapon in his arsenal. Somebody shout, yeah, I can't get no help this morning. (laughs) Picture him as a man that's just waiting to throw cancer on your life, just waiting to take a family member out, just sitting there. I know he prowls around the earth seeking whom he may devour. I'm aware of that, but I just, I wonder what he's trying to devour with because he's been disarmed. He's not sitting here with a 12-gauge looking down the scope waiting for someone to walk through the site. He is on his heels and he is terrified because he, know that his, he knows that his end is near. There's a verse in Colossians 2, Kim, but I don't know if I put it in there or not. Is Colossians 2 in there? Awesome. This is wild. Paul said, In you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you of all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 15. This is good. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. What does someone with no weapon do? Someone comes onto the scene, what does the one with no weapon do? They're going to take off running or they're going to hide. Right? They're not going to stay and see how it turns out because they have nothing to fight with. I want to tell you this morning the only power that the enemy's going to have is the power that you're going to give him. Because Jesus stood right before he ascended and he said all authority's been given back to me. Everybody say all. Jesus said all authority has been given back to me. If he has all of it, who has none of it? He has been, Satan has been eternally disarmed. Don't you live in fear no more, you understand? Don't you live in fear no more. The second thing that we need to understand about our enemy is that he's been decapitated. (laughs) Mm. Ever since the resurrection, once the enemy saw that his plan to take out the Messiah... Was actually just the setup for the greatest redemption story of all time. Jesus breathed again in the tomb, and the enemy was decapitated ever since. We see it in David and Goliath, don't we? Scholars actually say in the reading of the Bible in the New King James Version actually leads us to believe that the stone didn't even kill Goliath. He was laying there wounded on his face, and David went and disarmed him and actually decapitated him with his own sword, and that's what took the life from him. Your enemy not only is disarmed, He is headless. He is running around like a chicken with his head cut off. And we sit here and we fear him. I heard a story. Can I share a testimony real quick? I heard a story of a pastor. I I may have shared it here before, but I want to share it again. He was in an altar service, and somebody just came up and said, I just want more of God. So he said, well, that's pretty easy. Father, I just pray you come, boop, out the floor. Fall out under the power of the Holy Spirit. When the person hit the floor, she had, the, the way this pastor described it, she had the most terrified look on the face of a human being he had ever seen. And he said, well, Lord, I, you know, I know that's obviously demonic. Uh, what, what's happening here? And the Holy Spirit said to him, the spirit that once bound her is now beholding the face of the Son of God. And he said he saw Jesus standing over that body. He said he was as, Jesus was as tall as the building. And he said, yeah, I've come back to take what is mine. Your enemy doesn't have a head this morning. And I promise you, he's not worth fearing. He's not worth being afraid. He's not worth one eye open. (laughs) Mm. He's not worth the anxiety and the stress stress that you carry just because you don't know what's going to happen next. I just want to remind you that God's with you. The third and the final thing that we need to understand about our enemy. He's been disarmed, he's been decapitated, and he has eternally been defeated. Sash so out, shout, yeah. yeah. When we were desperate with no hope, when we were standing overlooking the valley of Eli, shaking in our boots, some may have even been peeing in their pants, afraid of what was about to happen when this giant came forward. There came a man on the scene that had no fear in him. The only fear in him was the fear that he had of God. And he ran through the crowd and darted into the king's quarters. And he said, your servant will go and fight the Philistine. (laughs) He didn't need physical armor. He just needed the Holy Spirit to be with him. And he ran full speed ahead. Slew the thing on its back, chopped his head off. And since that moment, we as God's people have been eternally victorious. Isn't it crazy that we had nothing to do with slaying the giant, but we got to share in the victory. <laughs> we sat there shaking in our boots, and he came and slew it. I can just see him looking back saying, y'all, come on. You know what I mean? Go get him, Run them out of town. This reality must dominate our minds. we become too focused on work. Raise your hand if you've ever become too focused on work. Raise them high. Elbows locked into the sky. we become too focused on sports. Raise your hand if you've ever been there. We need to understand this morning that we serve a God who interceded when we couldn't. And while we were still in sin, He died for us and did what we could not do so we could share his eternal victory listen to me church there are so many people in here and i get tired of seeing it on facebook all they do is talk about how the devil's been on their back all they do is talk about how the devil's been on them today and then we hide under the guise of pray for me and use that as an excuse to actually post it when it's really just giving honor to something that's not even worthy of it i hesitate to even preach on the devil sometimes just because i don't even think he's worthy of me talking about him i don't even want to give him the time of day I just want to remind you this morning that the devil is not on your back. It's impossible, because the Bible said he's actually beneath your feet. (laughs) So I I really don't even understand the verbiage. You understand it? I'm, I'm not getting it this morning because he can't be up here because he's down there. He has been eternally defeated. Amen. Will you stand with me all across the room? God is building a church. He is building a people, a company of people, a host of people. And that's us. That's you. Everybody looking at me. We're about to go. Everybody looking right here. He's building a company of people who, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, actually run the powers of darkness out of town. It's what we've been equipped to do. The Bible says that Jesus healed all who were oppressed by the devil. So our call is the same, right? That we would go, and if there's oppression that's by the devil on somebody's life, we actually pray in faith, and the thing gets off of them just because we pray. God is taking this church into a season of supernatural release. The miracles that we've been praying for, we will see with our own eyes. Dead bodies will come back to life. Cancer will leave. Addictions will break. Just because they walked in the room. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Just because people walk through the doors, things are going to fall off of them just because His presence is here. There is a season that's coming, and it's immediate. It is full of supernatural release. And I'm telling you that the enemy has been defeated, and our only responsibility is to join Jesus in the victory and run everything else out of town. <laughs> you know, it's amazing what happens when you take an old story and you look at it through the lens of the gospel. You could preach any Old Testament story this way. You're gonna find. Go home and study it. Open your Bible and read the thing. Whatever book you choose, it's gonna point to Jesus. We put ourselves in the story too much, don't we? We make it about us when it's just a story about him. And we get to share in what he has accomplished. Amen. Amen. Can you just bow your heads where you are? I'm not even going to open the altars up today. I just feel like there's revelation in the room. There's a shift in perspective in this room today. And Father, my prayer right now is that anyone that's oppressed by the devil would be set free in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, we are thankful. Would you just lift your hands all across the room and just just give him thanks with your lips in your own way. Father, we are thankful that you slayed the giant that we couldn't say, slay. When when you stood before sin and death, it wasn't even a challenge for you, but with one sacrifice, with one word, you have eternally set everything in, in motion, set everything in place. So we give you thanks for victory this morning and we're so thankful that we get to be a part of it. Somebody that receives a shout of amen. Can I pray a prayer of blessing over you this, this morning? Father, I bless your people right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the people of God, full of peace and full of joy and full of victory with every step that they'll ever take. Holy Spirit, I pray you go before them. You stand beside them. You be a rear guard behind them and a shield that's all around them. I speak abundance and I speak extra and I speak overflow on the people of God today. And the person that relie- re- receives it this morning shouts, Amen. 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 Put your hands together one more time for all God has done. You're encouraged today, empowered today. I pray as you read David and Goliath, you never look out at it the same. It's all about Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.